Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Clyde Johnston. And quite simply, Clyde is a legend of the South Carolina Low Country. He's based in Hilton Head. He's spent his entire life in golf. His father, Johnny Johnston, was a PGA professional and a golf course architect. His sister, Kathy Johnston Forbes, played on the LPGA Tour. Clyde's been based in Hilton Head now for close to 40 years. He's designed golf courses throughout the Southeast. He's great at spinning stories. And if you stick around to the end of this podcast, you'll hear Clyde describe what it was like working on projects with John Daly and Fuzzy Zeller, two of the big characters of the modern game. But before we get going with Clyde, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, and Better Billy Bunker is also a big supporter of golf course superintendents and their work. So we're glad that they're on board, and we're glad that Clyde was able to take some time to join us. Well, Clyde, it's great to have you on the podcast. The first thing here that I wanted to ask you is you don't tweet much, but I do notice that you do have a Twitter account. And I noticed on your profile, you say, I'm a golf course architect based in golf paradise. Right. Clyde, what makes Hilton Head golf paradise for our listeners that have never been there? Well, uh, we have um, a great selection of golf courses that have been designed by many of the best architects in the business. Harbor Town by Pete Dye uh, and Long Cove by Pete as well. Robert Trent Jones designed here. Uh, Reese Jones um, you know, just a lot of good designers and a lot of good golf courses. The, the quality of golf here is just exceptional. Well, you're being humble, too. You've designed a lot of great golf courses. What was your first Hilton Head project? Well, as far as new golf courses, um, I designed both Old South and Island West at the same time. Uh, I had them both under construction at the same time. Uh, but uh, I did a major renovation of Sea Pines Country Club back in the year 2001, I believe it was. And I've, I've actually, I've probably worked on almost every golf course in the area in some form or fashion. Uh, sometimes it's just helping with um, reduction of shade on greens and tees and stuff to, to actually doing a little bit of redesign work. It's a great place to live. What are unique about the golf courses there? I think a lot of us go into the, the low country and we, we see just kind of flat land. How, how do you make them different, and what is, what's the land like that you're, you're working with in, in that part of the country? Well, some of it is uh, on the low side, but uh, we do have a little bit of movement. Uh, the beauty of the area is the uh, enormous live oak trees that we have with the Spanish moss that you know, kind of drips down. Uh, we've got the ocean. Uh, we've got the salt marshes, the great water views. Um, just, you know, just a really nice lush vegetation-type island. Uh, it's a wonderful place to live and a wonderful place to, to vacation as well. When did you first visit Hilton Head? I first came here in sometime in the 1970s. I would, I would say 1977 or 78, and, and it was for a, uh, a vacation. You know, I'd never been here, and, was, and some friends and I came down and played a bunch of golf and had a lot of fun, and then... Uh, about uh, three years later, in 1980, uh, the, the architect I was working for at that time, Willard Bird, he called me into his office on a Friday afternoon and said, um, Clyde, I need you to go to um, Hilton Head this weekend, and here's a couple of projects we're going to be starting there. And, and uh, next thing I know, I'm, I've been here for about two weeks, and I go home and get all my 
clothes and possessions, and I've been here, been back here ever since. Some of our listeners might have been in Myrtle Beach or Hilton Head on a, a work trip or a personal trip and have played a Willard Bird design golf course, but they might not know a lot about them. Tell our listeners what it was like work, working with Willard and what did you learn from him? Well, I learned a lot. He was particularly good with uh, routing golf courses within residential communities such that they both worked. The, the golf courses uh, turned out well. Um, they were not compromised by the real estate aspects. Uh, he was very keen on good drainage. Um, Mr. Bird didn't take a lot of chances with his designs. They were pretty straightforward. Um, you know, he didn't really take any big risk with any you know new design concepts or anything like that. But he uh, he designed a very good golf course, so I, I learned a lot uh, from him. Um, but really, I learned probably more about design from my father than I did from Mr. Bird. Uh, my dad was a golf professional uh, in the Carolinas, and he also dabbled in golf course design. When I was growing up, um, I got to actually work construction on uh, on one of them, and um, you know just learned a lot about design strategy from him. Did you decided at a young age that you wanted to pursue golf course architecture? How did growing up around it? and having that defined career path help you out? I decided I wanted to be a golf course architect when I was about 13 years old. Um, my dad, as I mentioned, um, dabbled in golf course design, um, mostly designing golf courses for free because he was really promoting golf. But uh, he had a drafting table in our basement, and I would go down and look over his shoulder, and he would teach me about design strategy and topography and drainage and such things and I was down in the basement kind of watching what he was doing one night and for no apparent reason he just looked up at me and pointed to the plans and said uh, you can make a living doing this I said what and he says yeah you can um, you know you can make a living designing golf courses and I said my reply was yeah I'm in I want to do that how do I do it and he went and he called Willard Bird and he called uh, George Cobb and and uh, Ellis Maples, um, and talk with them about, you know, the proper career path, uh, the educational part that I would need to follow in order to become a golf course architect. And, and basically that's, that's what I did. I went to North Carolina State University and uh, got a degree in landscape architecture, which is a great degree for learning all about, you know, land forms and drainage and environmental aspects. Unfortunately, I was hired by Willard Bird in 1974, and I've been in the business ever since. Just wasn't you. You grew up in a family of golfers, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my dad was kind of the first golfer. Um, my grandfather was actually a football coach at uh, his last uh, project or position. was He was the head football coach at Appalachian back in the late 1920s, early 1930s. Uh, but my dad took up golf at a young age. In fact, I still have um, four or five of his hickory shafted clubs that he learned to play with. He played golf, you know, as a young person growing up in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He went to Wake Forest College in the little town of Wake Forest in the 1940s, played on the golf team. He was uh, captain of the golf team. And then when he graduated, the athletic director 
offered him a full-time position as the first uh, golf coach at Wake Forest. And my dad agreed with the condition that uh, he would um, at least be able to offer a, a golf scholarship to somebody to so that he could start improving the golf program. And my dad was particularly interested in uh, a young man named Marvin Buddy Worsham. Um, he basically would go to high school events and talk to Buddy and watch him play. And, and uh, I got to the point where my dad went to the athletic director and says, I've found the guy I want to you know, offer a scholarship to. They, they got they got Buddy on the phone, and they, they offered him a full scholarship to Wake Forest. And Buddy's reply was, well, I'll, um, I'll take you up on that uh, scholarship offer on one condition. And that condition was that, was that uh, they would give uh, Buddy's best friend a scholarship as well. And they said, well, who's that? And Buddy says, well, his name's Arnold Palmer. And uh, so that's how Arnold Palmer got to Wake Forest. Uh, my dad stayed on his coach there uh, until 19. He was a golf coach there from 1947 to 1950 when he got called back into the Air Force for the Korean War. But Unfortunately, that also coincided for for when Buddy was Buddy Worsham was killed in a car accident coming back from um, Durham one night, and it was actually a trip that Buddy wanted Arnold to go on, but Arnold was tired and he didn't want to go. Um, and uh, Buddy and a, one of the basketball players went to a party over in Durham, and on, on the way back, their car ran off the road and crashed into the Noose River, and uh, they both died unfortunately. And Arnold was very distraught about that left Wake Forest shortly thereafter. And Wake Forest back then wasn't even in the same location it is today, right? That's correct. It was in the little town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, which is basically northwest of Raleigh. I believe it was 1957 or 58 when Wake Forest College was was basically bought by the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company and moved to Winston-Salem, where it is today. Did you have an opportunity to meet Arnold Palmer growing up? actually came to our house in High Point one year when he was player in, playing in the um, Greater Greensboro Open. Um, so I, you know, through that and several other acquaintances, I got to be around him a little bit, not a lot, but a little. And then Arnold became one of your American Society of Golf Course Architects colleagues. Yes, he, um, he was originally uh, awarded the Donald Ross Award, which actually makes you an honorary member. Uh, in our group, and then uh, later on, I think it was while I was president, that Arnold was uh, elected a fellow of the society as well. Your sisters played golf too, just like yourself? I have five younger sisters, which was uh-huh. probably one of the reasons I went to the golf course after school. <laughs> <laughs> Did they all play golf? They all played golf. Uh, they all still do. Uh, my youngest sister was the one with the most talent, Kathy. Uh, she played um, on the ladies' uh, LPGA tour for 21 years. She was kind of a, a journeyman uh, out there. She only won one tournament, but it was uh, one of the majors at the time, the uh, Marier, and I couldn't tell you what year it was. But she stayed out there for 21 years and made pretty good living doing it. Did you have some competitive games with them growing up? Yeah. Kathy's um, about 13 or 14 years younger than me, but... Mm. Um, when my dad took a job uh, at Seascape Golf Club on, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, back in 1970, Kathy was just, you know, she was 
seven or eight years old or something like that. And we used to go out and play, and I, I would give her two shots per hole and still beat her. But uh, now she has to give me shots. <laughs> <laughs> you must have saw a lot of golf courses growing up. What, what were some ones that your father worked at or he took you to as a child that, that are still around today that, that really stuck out to you? Carolinas, from the coast to the mountains, has almost every imaginable variety of golf. It had to be a great place to, to grow up and then go to school and launch your career. Yeah, it was. Uh, I couldn't have picked a better place. Did you ever think about leaving the southeast, or has it always made the most sense to stay there? Have you wondered what, what it would be like going out west or up to the northeast to design golf courses? When you arrived in Hilton Head, were you the only golf course architect based there? Was there anyone else trying to build a business like yours in, in that area? No, there was um, no other architects that were, were anywhere near Hilton Head. I think George Cobb was probably the closest, and uh, he was in Greenville, South Carolina, um, along with John LaFoy, who worked for George. Uh, and Willard Bird was in Atlanta, where I worked for about six and a half years, and then a uh, at that point in time, this was uh, 1980, I think the closest uh, other architects were Pinehurst with Dan Maples, um, Ed C. and Arnold Palmer's group were down in Ponte Vedra near Jacksonville, Florida. There weren't really any any others close by. And if you think about it, Hilton Head's one of the great successes of balancing the environment with commerce and development. When you're working on some of the projects there, how aware do you have to be of the, the natural surroundings, and what have you learned about balancing golf and the environment through the years just, just based on where you live? You know, it's a delicate balance, uh, but you have to here. It's, people expect it. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to even cut down a tree on Hilton Head Island with, with the types of ordinances that we have now. So you're always looking to try to, you know, make everything fit within the natural environment trees and the marshes and the wetlands and, and the wildlife as well. Um, so it's, it's been a, a learning experience. Uh, I was also fortunate enough uh, while living here to get involved with a, a sustainability uh, group called Experience Green, 
and they had a, a division called um, Sustainability in Golf, and one of our efforts was to help superintendents in this area make their golf courses more sustainable. So that was a, an educational process for me as well, which I, I learned a lot from and still apply today in my designs and redesigns. What are some of the great environmental successes you've seen? Well, mostly just being able to blend the golf course into the natural environment without adversely affecting um, you know, the wetlands or the wildlife. You know, storm drainage is a very big consideration when you're looking to protect the natural environment. You know, what we do with the water that that uh, comes to the golf course via the roads or the lots, uh, how we treat it, uh, make sure it's you know, it's being handled properly before it does discharge into to another water body or to a, a wetland in particular. Um, we use vegetation a lot to help clean up the water um, so it's, it's it's really a balancing act to, to do all these things just to make sure you're doing the right thing a lot of the golf course architects that we've spoken with in tartan talks say that there's tremendous fulfillment when you see the golfers out there having fun enjoying the product but in your case working where you do how much fulfillment is there when you see a golf course handle a big storm and get the playability quickly. I mean, how big are some of those infrastructure things you see and how rewarding is it to see a, a golf course withstand what the weather can bring in, in your part of the country? Oh, it helps a lot, yeah. particularly here because uh, we have such low elevations in various parts, not only on the island, but just off the island. Um, for example, you know, Sea Pines has got four really good golf courses there, uh, but that's very low land, and so they have to be extremely careful with how they handle stormwater discharge and, and storage as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have some higher ground um, where I live in Spanish Wells. Uh, we're up about elevation 17, 18, 19 feet above mean sea level. Uh, so we have sandier soil, so it's a little easier as opposed to sea pines, which is down around elevations 8, 9, 10. Um, so you have to take those kind of things into consideration off the island is, oh. is very similar. There's some areas that are very low, um, and then there are areas that you know the elevation gets quite higher. I've always wondered this, Clyde. You've worked in Hilton Head, the Charleston area, and Myrtle Beach. What's different about those three areas in terms of land and what you're trying to accomplish as a golf course architect? Well, I think uh, the Charleston area, uh, particularly the work I did now in the uh, Kiowa area, it's very, very similar. Um, live oak trees, palm trees, um, low elevation, salt marsh, freshwater wetlands, et cetera, all that's very similar. Myrtle Beach is um, just a really entirely different animal. I think it's harder to work in Myrtle Beach because the soils are so different up there. You really get into some, some really organic soils, and you also get into soils that are very high clay content. Particularly a blue clay that we call gumbo, uh, which is very difficult to work with. So it's a, it's a bigger challenge in Myrtle Beach to solve the drainage issues. Uh, you really have to have more positive surface drainage there than you do in other locations. But there are parts of Myrtle Beach, I mean, from one end of Myrtle Beach to the other, the terrain changes. Um, the, the vegetation is similar, but it does change. 
I think it's just a little more challenging to work in that. There were a lot of golf courses in those areas built in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Uh, Clyde, how are those golf courses aging, and what do you see that the future of some of those golf courses being in that stretch from Myrtle Beach to, to Hilton Head? Well, Myrtle Beach has had a tough time of it. Uh, when I was growing up uh, in the late 1950s, early 1960s, Myrtle Beach only had three golf courses, and we would vacation at Myrtle Beach for a week a year. My dad and I would we'd go play golf with a, while my mom and my sisters would go to the beach. Myrtle Beach at one point in time had 125 golf courses in their metro statistical area. Now they are down to less than 100 for sure, quite possibly somewhere around 95 to 90 golf courses. Um, but they started adding golf courses there in the 1960s, and it became a basically a, a strong golfer destination for particularly groups of men, you know, get together four or five foursomes of men would get together and go to Myrtle Beach to play as much golf as they could possibly play in a week's time. And so the golf just kept growing there. Uh, one of the courses I worked on there with John Daly was one called Wicked Stick. And the only reason the golf course even came into being was because all these hotels there had rooms that they wanted to rent, but if they could not associate a tea time with each room or rooms, uh, they couldn't rent their rooms. They had to send so about 10 hotel owners got together there and, and they built Wicked Stick in order to solve their uh, occupancy issue to be able to put a tea time with a room. You mentioned uh, Kiowa a few minutes ago. What does the project at Oak Point mean to you professionally? And I also understand it's, it meant a lot to you personally, too. Yeah, it, uh, it started out as a residential golf course community uh, by a developer that I didn't particularly know at the time. Unfortunately, they ran into some tough times, and, and the project went uh, went into bankruptcy, and fortunately, the owners of the Kiowa Resort bought it and brought it, brought it, uh, and never, it never closed, but they, you know, they put money into it, and it's a, and it's a very nice facility, so I'm, I'm proud to be associated with Kiowa Resorts. Um, they, you know, continue to use my name and promote it, promote it. But probably one of the most uh, beneficial things that ever came out of that project was was that I met my wife there, and uh, you know we started dating in 1988 or 89, and, and we ended up getting married in 1992. So that project actually you know allowed me to meet her, and, and we've had a wonderful life together. Was she a golf enthusiast at the time? <laughs> oh no, she still doesn't play golf. <laughs> Right after we got married, I, I uh, had one of the guys in my office like to tinker with, uh, you know, clubs, and so he, I had him uh, put together a full set of clubs with her, you know, irons, woods, uh, you know, bagged the whole bit, and I gave it to her for a surprise one day, and uh, they pretty much sat in the closet for 10 years <laughs> before she actually even played her first round of golf with, you know, on her behalf. She was, we were busy having kids at that point in time, so she really didn't have the opportunity to go out and play any. <laughs> she keeps saying she's going to start playing, but I, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> Early in the relationship, how do you explain your job and the demands of it and the craziness of it to somebody that you're just starting to date? <laughs> well, I was, I was quite careful to make sure she understood that I traveled a lot with my, with my job. 
and she accepted that. And it was tough on her when we were when she was having our children. Uh, she was stuck at home with three young kids at you know one point in time, and I'd be gone 125, 150 nights. But she she made it through it, and now I do whatever I can to support her. If I'm not mistaken, you you've designed close to three dozen new golf courses. Thirty-seven, I think. What type of opportunity is each and every one of those have been? Not a lot of golf course architects in this time frame have designed so many new ones. What type of opportunities have they all been, and what are some ones you really remember? Oh gosh, they they've all been fun. Yep, it's always a you know exciting time when you land a new contract, and, and then when it does go to, uh, go forward, it's even more exciting. I mean, I. If every project that I'd ever signed a contract on was built, I'd probably would have had 80 new golf courses out there. But they don't all they don't all make it uh, to fruition. Uh, but you know, the the fun thing about my job is I get to go different places and experience different environments. There are different clients, a lot of times different contractors. So they're all unique in the aspect that they're they're different. And I've always tried to take into consideration, you know, the type of land that is there, making sure the golf course fits the land and not force anything on it. I've also tried to understand who's going to be playing these golf courses and to make sure the golf course is conducive toward the clientele that will be playing it, be it whether it's public play or resort play or even private country club type play. Um, but they're all, they're all unique. Uh, a lot of fun in that regard. Next spring, the PGA Championships coming to Kiwa Island. A Ryder Cup was played there in the early 90s. This will be the second PGA Championship there. When you moved to the low country, did you ever envision it being the center of the golf world like it has a few times? No, not exactly like it is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the ocean course at Kiwa was, was um, a very pleasant surprise. I went out and when I heard that they were going to build a golf course out there, and, and to the point that I heard about it, they had not even announced who the designer was going to be, I don't think. And I knew some people over there, and I went and looked at that land, and I thought, wow, this is this is great. It's right on the ocean, but there's a whole lot of wetlands, difficult aspects to it. And, you know, what Pete Dye did was just amazing uh, for what they ended up with. Some terrific golf course. Kiowa's done a great job with all their golf courses. Uh, they've got, you know, uh, first-class resort there as well um, and of course the owner of Kiowa, uh, Bill Goodwin, he, he also bought the, the Sea Pines Resort courses here so he's really got both projects. He's poured a lot of money into what he has in Sea Pines rebuilding new clubhouses uh, beach club pouring um, a lot of money into the golf courses to make sure that the, uh, the customers the tourists uh, and the golfers all have a first class experience. You've also seen the development of a first tee chapter in Hilton Head, and you're involved in that. Uh, tell our listeners about what that experience has meant to you. Oh, that was that was also a lot of fun. I, I had been trying over the last 20, probably 25 years to, to get a learner's-type golf facility built on Hilton Head. And what I always wanted to have was at least a nine-hole par three with a practice range or practice facility. And I worked on 
three or four different sites uh, for different people um, trying to get that accomplished and unfortunately due, due to zoning and some other issues from you know and it never happened but uh, I got a call one day from the uh, director of the Boys and Girls Club at Hilton Head and she says I've, I've found your name on several plans of, of uh, potential projects for some short golf courses and stuff uh, he, she have you ever thought about a first tee type project? And I said, yeah, sure I have. Every time we do one of these, I think about it. She says, well, we have some additional land here at the Boys and Girls Club, and the town of Hilton Head also owns, I think, those 16 acres right behind us. Would you be willing to come look at it and tell us what you think? And, and I, I think that was 2000, early 2014. And just to make a long story short, we were able to convince the town of Hilton Head to lease us the additional 16 acres. Uh, we put together, um, myself, I, I was involved in it early, but we had a lot of people involved in it. And we were able to raise all the funding for it. And we, we now have um, a nice facility there that uh, where you can go play six par three holes or you can use the practice range. They're not, they're not separate. You either use the practice range uh, or you use the six-hole par three course. Um, we used a lot of the target greens on the practice range for the par three green. Um, it's just like a normal golf practice range at, uh, at, at one of the golf clubs around Hilton Head. Uh, we have 20 tee in positions across the, the range tee. We have a 10,000 square foot uh, putting green with Tiff Eagle Bermuda grass on it, and we also have another USGA type spec green where we uh, use for a chipping facility with a couple of bunkers. Uh, Turned out to be a great program. Uh, we opened the facility in 2015, and it's been uh, a very successful first tee um, project. Uh, we're very proud of it. Do you get a chance to get over there a lot, and what goes through your mind when you see all the different types of <laughs> golfers and children using it oh it's, it's it's great to see people enjoying the facility i i ended up on the board of directors for the first tee of the low country and was actually the chairman for a couple of years um, but we have in our bylaws we can only serve two consecutive three-year terms so i'm currently not on the board anymore but i'm probably going to go back on next year uh, but i still go over there occasionally and see what's going on uh, during the process of getting that first tee chapter started, I also volunteered as one of the assistant coaches and I would go out and help, you know, with the programs and teaching the kids the nine core values of the first tee program as well as, the, as teaching them how to how to hit the golf ball and, and uh, the game of golf. When we're not in these uh, COVID-19 times, you teach a class at the Professional Golfers Career College in Hilton Head. Uh, what are some golf course architecture basics you're, you're stressing to aspiring golf professionals. And I would also think that the conversations would be the same with superintendents. What are some basics that people learning the industry should know about golf course architecture? Well, what I do with the class, uh, first is I really teach them about the anatomy of the golf course, how architects use tees, tee placement, bunkers, bunker placement, bunker patterns, the different types of bunkers and how architects use them. And I do that so that they can really try to understand what, what an architect might be thinking with the design of each hole 
how the architect is trying to say this is where you should hit it, this is where you might want to hit it if you feel really good about your game, um, where you might gain an advantage. So I'm really just trying to teach them a little bit about uh, how architects think. Uh, then in the second uh, half of the class, I really teach them the process that a golf course architect goes through from A to Z, um, how to evaluate the land, uh, how to actually have them do a golf course routing plan. Um, but first I teach them about the many considerations that you know you have to, to uh, use to, to do a golf course routing plan, you know, uh, access to the site, uh, drainage, topography, uh, environmental consideration, design strategy pace of play, uh, just some of the things that, that I addressed during the, the instructional part of the class. Clyde, what are some projects you're currently working on, and what's the rest of 2020 going to be like for you, and what, what are you expecting in 2021? Well, I'm not really sure. I've always found that election years are kind of slow for me, and I don't <laughs> know why that is, but it just seems that way. Yeah. Uh, this year so far, I have uh, completed four renovation projects, uh, mostly small stuff. Um, one project was at Moss Creek, which is just off the island from Hilton Head, and we, we added uh, some forward tees on, on all 36 of the holes there. Um, I've worked on um, uh, redoing over at the Paris Island Marine Corps Depot. Uh, I have a course there called The Legends that course that I did a total reno, new renovation on back in the year 2001, I think it was, where we built a Hilton Head quality type golf course on the marine base there. And unfortunately, we had a, a tidal creek there that was kept eroding the, the bank next to the 13th green, so the base decided to move the green away so that they could properly address um, stabilizing that uh, tidal creek bank. So part of that Part of that renovation project was actually moving the 13th green over to the left. Uh, a couple of other projects in Alabama where we uh, redesigned uh, new greens and tees. Um, also this year, I was, one of my new golf courses finally opened up all 18 holes. Um, it's called Hollow Creek at the uh, Preserve Club in, in uh, Woodside Plantation in Aiken, South Carolina. That project started in 2006, and we phase one was to open 10 holes in 2007, which, which we did, and we were supposed to go right into building the last eight holes in 2008, but a downturn in the economy um, forced the developer to kind of put, uh, put that project on hold. Uh, a couple of years ago, we built two, two additional holes uh, on that course, and then last summer, we built the last six, and so Back uh, July 2nd of this, this summer, we actually officially opened uh, the 18 holes of golf uh, for that community, which was uh, pretty exciting. You've had a chance to work on projects with John Daly and Fuzzy Zeller, who are two of the biggest characters in recent <laughs> golf memory. Were there some laughs on those? Uh, they were all fun. Uh, I've only done one course with uh, John Daly, and he basically didn't know anything about golf course design at that point in time, but he would he made like three visits to the to the site for PR purposes and stuff, and it was fun getting to know him. That was right right after he won the uh, uh, 
British Open. Um, but uh, just as a funny story, I, one of the first times John came out, we had the golf course under construction, and we took uh, John out to uh, one of the par threes, uh, which was a 265-yard par three, and the, it was still all dirt, and we had the, the core of the green, you know, cut out, so it was just kind of a hole in the ground. And we had the media there, and, and they wanted John to hit some, you know, some shots into to that green. And, uh, so John basically took out his four iron and, and was hitting four irons into the to the green, and I'm there hitting the driver as hard as I can hit it, trying <laughs> to get it <laughs> the same distance as him. We took him on a little walking tour, and, and as we started to start walking down one of the golf holes, John grabbed my arm and pulled me ahead of the group, and he says, uh, Clyde, he says, I don't know what's going on here. He says, I, tell me what, you know, tell me what we're looking at here. And I go, okay, John, um, you see these tall white PVC posts or pipes sticking out of the ground? Those are That's the center of the tee, the center of the dog leg, or the center of the green. I said, the ones with the green color on top, that's the center of the green. The blue ones are the tees. The red ones are the, the dog legs. And I said, so you can kind of follow from tee to dog leg to green. And we were walking along talking a little about it. And he says, well, what do I say? And I said, well, we're coming up on the 18th tee. Um, there's, um, just, when you get up there, just look down the fairway from, from this post to the next post down in the middle of the fairway. And, and there's a pile of dirt there in the middle of the fairway that's kind of there temporarily, but I want you to you know, just say, I don't like that there, Clyde. I want you to move it to the outside of the dog leg or whatever you want to say. And he did, and, of course, all the, the media people were writing that up. And One of the owners runs over to me and he says, you're going to do that, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm laughing, saying, yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> but uh, he was fun to work with. Uh, he was pretty much character. He wasn't really in, in, into his trouble days at that point in time. He was he was a, a nice guy to be around. Um, definitely a, a lot of talent. Uh, I played golf with him I think three times uh, during that process, so he was a lot of fun to be around. Um, my work with Fuzzy, I think I've done seven golf courses with Fuzzy, uh, and um, three in Indiana, um, one here at Hilton Head, um, one down in Jacksonville. And the one that I, we just opened in, in uh, Aiken, South Carolina, was also with Fuzzy. Uh, and everybody knows he's a real character. Uh, a lot of fun to be with him. And, of course, Fuzzy knew knew some things about golf course design, but one of the reasons he and I hit it off was the first time we ever met. Um, I was trying to get a job uh, designing uh, Jacksonville Golf and Country Club in Jacksonville, Florida. And, of course, I was fresh out on my own, and real estate people there were trying to, you know, have a real estate development where and they wanted a name either a name architect or a name tour pro to be associated with and and I, I made some suggestions to them and one of those suggestions was Fuzzy. And they agreed and they said if, if Fuzzy and I felt like we could get along together that they would hire both of us to do the golf course design. So I went down to Miami and met Fuzzy. I think he was doing a shark shootout or something there and Met him at the airport, and we went back to his villa, and, and uh, we stayed up, you know, until about two o'clock in the morning talking about design. And turns out a lot of the things he he wants to do with golf course design were very similar to, you know, what I want to do. And so we hit it off, and, and uh, we ended 
ended up doing, I think, seven courses together, one of which uh, Fuzzy owns called Cover Bridge in, in Sellersburg, Indiana. Um, but a lot of fun working with Fuzzy because he certainly likes to have fun. Yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like staying up to 2 a.m. with Fuzzy Zeller. <laughs> well, I tell you, he's, he's, um, I really enjoyed being around him. But I, mm-hmm. one of the things, this is a story I tell a lot of people about Fuzzy when we were actually building Covered Bridge Golf Club, which is the course he owns there in Sellersburg, Indiana. But every time I would go for a site visit, Fuzzy would drive down to the airport in, in Louisville and pick me up. And if I hadn't had dinner, he would take me out to eat. And then I would actually go to his house and spend the night in his guest room. And the next morning at 5 o'clock, there'd be a knock on my door, and it'd be Fuzzy bringing me a cup of coffee do that and then we go maybe get a little bite to eat and then we'd go out and go around the golf course and and at the end of the day he would take me back to the airport and this happened on every trip that I made up there except for one and on that one trip he and his family were going to be out of town so he left a car for me at the airport and the keys to his house and I just took the car and went spent the night at his house and the next day did what I needed to do and took the car back to the airport the next day and just left it and, you know that's you know he just treated me like I was family last thing here have you ever thought about what your life would be like without golf and what you would be doing yeah I, I have um when I was in high school I was um uh, I was very good in math and I had a class I was taking an accounting class and our final project teacher gave us a big packet of receipts and all kinds of things and we basically had to set up a set up a company do all the, the, the data entry and balance the books and come up with a profit and loss statement and a, and a, a balance sheet and the teacher gave us two weeks to do it and I took it home that night and I did it all that night and took it back to her the next day and aced it and then I won some award for accounting and you know at that point in time I thought well you know accounting's kind of fun I might like to do that and so from by winning that award I got invited to a a luncheon sponsored by the local uh, CTAs I won the male or male award and there was a girl that won the female award and we went to this luncheon and I'm sitting there eating my lunch and I'm looking around the table and there's all these people wearing, men were wearing coats and ties and I'm thinking to myself, no, I don't think I want to do that. (laughs) I think I want to, I think I'd rather be in the golf business where I can get outside, enjoy the game and (laughs) enjoy enjoy the outdoors. Um, But I I think every now and then I think, you know, that could have been another career for me, but it certainly wouldn't have been as much fun. But hold on a second here, balance sheets, P&Ls, math, that stuff... (laughs) You need to know that when you run your own business, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, when I started my own business, I mean, that was pretty easy. I've actually done all my own book bookkeeping ever since. Well, Clyde, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, taking so much time to, to join us, and good luck with the rest of your 2020, and look forward to seeing what you do in 2021. Thanks, guy. Enjoy talking with you.